This teaching comes to you from the team at Anchor Church Sydney. We hope you're blessed by it. For more teachings, resources or info, check out our website www.anchorchurch.com.au Well, good morning, Anchor Church. Great to see you here. How's everyone doing this morning? Great. That was actually a really good response. Well done, guys. Big shout out to everyone who's watching online this morning. My name is Matt, one of the pastors here at Anchor Church. It's my privilege to be opening the Word of God for you this morning. So if you have a Bible, keep it open to Ephesians chapter 5. Uh, uh, just a quick one on the AGM. That has been a time change on that. It was initially at 5 o'clock. It's now starting at 4 o'clock. Um, that's really important. We're supposed to give you three or two weeks notice of that. So we've just given you one. But um, uh, it is starting at four instead of five, just due to some uh, clash, time clashes there down at Southwest. Um, the other thing I wanted to say is um, we uh, a couple of weeks ago I spoke about um, our annual um, fundraising campaign, which we will be launching. It was supposed to be this week. We've, we've delayed that till after I get back from holidays. So that'll be coming to you uh, in mid-July. And it also gives us some time to get all of our stuff organized for that. So for those of you who are expecting that this week, uh, wait another month and we'll have it for you in mid-July. Well, the last thing that you want um, when you turn up to church is to have the preacher tell you how to live your life. And um, today I'm going to do that. And then the second worst thing is to, t- uh, to have a preacher talk to you about money and sex. And I'm going to talk to you about that this morning as well. All of the things that they say not to do if you want to grow a church. But hey, we preach um, the Word of God and we don't dodge the hard topics. We don't skirt around the things that are uncomfortable for our culture. And so this morning we're going to be looking at all of what Mitch just read for us in Ephesians chapter 5. You know, um, Ephesians has some tricky verses to interpret in the Bible. And these verses are none of those. These are not the, in, the difficult ones to interpret. These are the ones that are difficult to live out. Um, and so we need God's help uh, to convict us and to help us to learn to walk in the way of Jesus this morning. So I'm going to pray for us and for me as we dive into God's word. So please join me as I pray. Father God, we thank you that you are a good God. We thank you that you have a clear vision for what it looks like for humanity, your new humanity, to th- to thrive and flourish, thrive and flourish. God, we thank you that um, your word is true. And this morning, God, as we uh, look at what you have to say to us, we ask you to help us to sit humbly, to not sit above the word in judgment of it, but to sit under your word. We pray that your spirit would convict us, bring us into alignment with the way of Jesus. And send us out of here, a radically distinct and different people for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' strong name and all of God's people said, Amen. Thrive and flourish. That's a tongue twister. Thrive and flourish. Well, this morning we're going to start with a game um, because I feel like we need a bit of a game to get going today. This game is called um, Guess the Walk. Uh, so I'm going to do a specific walk, and I want you guys to guess who I am, because you can tell a lot about a person by the way that they walk. Can you not? So this, this game is called Guess the Walk, uh, and the first walk is um, this, that, this, this is just me walking right now. This is Matt. Okay, Matt walking. This is the first walk. Everyone ready? That, oh, yeah. Did I hear Speedwalker? Speedwalker. All right. So yes, Olympic speed walking. All right. What about um, 
What about this one? What about this one? Did I hear someone say gong gong? You know, like, you see the 80-year-old the 80, 80 grandpa, he's walking down the street shuffling. Maybe that one wasn't PC. Um, all right. What, what, about, what about this one? This requires... I'm, I'm not winning any Oscars for this performance. This requires some immersion into the character here because it's, it's not very not me at all. I've forgotten what it was. What am I doing again? No, I'm just nervous. I'm just going to go to the next one because I can't do that one. I'll come back to it. I'll come back to it. Uh, uh, what about this one, okay? Right, the moonwalk, yes. Uh, what have we got here? Okay. What about this one? It's a strut. Who, what, what was that? Conor McGregor, yeah. Or anyone like Conor McGregor. Ladies, if that's the way he walks on the first date, don't go on a second. It's probably a bad sign. Uh, all right, what about this one? What about this one? Catwalk, all right, a model. What about this one? Ah, oh, last one, last one. All right, this is the last one, okay? Sneaking. Yeah, I'm a parent leaving the room when your toddler's just fallen asleep. You can tell a lot about a person by the way that they walk. And apologies to the camera people. I should have warned you that I was like going to be pacing back and forth on the stage. I'm out of breath and unfit. You can tell a lot about a person by the way that they walk. And the same is true of us as followers of Jesus. We have a specific walk. We have a gate. We have a way that we live our lives. And Paul will use this metaphor to describe the Christian life. And it's the metaphor of walking. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, he says, walk in, a manner, walk in a manner worthy of the calling that you have received. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling that you have received. Where to walk with a particular gait. Where to walk in a certain way. And it's no um, surprise that as God has fashioned and created this new humanity, along with that comes new ethics. This alternate society that God has been crafting, Ephesians 1 to 3, and then we turn the page of chapter 4 verse 1, and we begin to see that this alternative society has an alternative way of living, an alternative vision of what it looks like for humanity to flourish. And so the first thing that Paul will say there in chapter 5, verse 1, is this. Therefore, be imitators of God. Be imitators of God as dearly loved children. You know, it's um, not all that rare in our household for child number one and child number two to take it upon themselves to discipline child number three. And it's kind of hilarious and cute and scary at the same time to watch it happening because when they do discipline child number three, it sounds exactly like us, like the intonation and the tone and the aggression. And it's a, it's a bit of a mirror, actually. I'm like, do I really sound like that when I discipline my children? The thing is, kids mimic their parents. They mimic those around them. They watch, they see, and then they do. And here Paul is saying, you know what it means to be a Christian? It means to mimic our Heavenly Father, to imitate God. 
You know, our definition of discipleship here at Anchor is someone who is learning to love and live like Jesus. Someone who is learning to love and live like Jesus. Now, just so you know, discipleship, being a Christian, it's not just a Sunday thing. It's not just something you do now for the the little time that we're gathered in this room together. It's a way of life. It's a lifestyle. It's learning to love and live like Jesus lived. It's everything. It's all of life. It's not just merely intellectual assent to a number of propositions about Jesus. As as important as truth is, discipleship is not merely knowing intellectual things about Jesus. It's about walking in obedience and embodying obedience to the propositions about who Jesus is. It's about transformation of our lives. Discipleship is about imitating God. It's about becoming more and more like the person of Jesus. And so we are formed into the likeness of Christ as we follow him. That's what it means to be a Christian. If you're looking for a very succinct definition of what it means to be a Christian, it is someone, a child of God, who imitates their father. That's what it means for us to be disciples, to be Christians. And it's always meant that for God's people. This is not a new thing. As we turn to the New Testament, it has always meant this for God's people. You cast your mind back to Israel and the purpose for which God gave them the law. Right? You, you, have you ever started a Bible reading plan and you get to Genesis, Exodus, you hit Leviticus, you're like... I give up. There are so many laws in the book of Exodus. And you think, why are they there? Laws about not threading two different types of cotton and twine together. And laws about what you can eat and you can't eat. You know, animals that have a split hoff and chew the cud, whatever that means. And you can't eat pork and you can't eat prawns. And all of these laws, why are they there? Well, they don't exist because God is fussy. They're there because God is saying, you are my people and you are a distinct Holy, set apart, different, countercultural people. You are marked out from the rest of the world. The people of God have always been a contrast community, a countercultural community, an alternative society. And so, as God creates this new humanity that we've read of here in Ephesians, this new humanity, He says that we are like. Israel has always been to be a distinctly different people from the rest of the world, from the culture around us. You know, the more you spend time around people, the more you start to act like them and sound like them and dress like them. It's just what happens when we spend time with people. And if we are to imitate God and be imitators of God, we need to spend time with Him. We need to keep company with God in order to learn A life of love, to borrow Eugene Peterson's phrase. Keep company with God in order to learn a life of love. Imitation happens with time and proximity. You know, every uh, now and then my family heads back to South Africa for a, a family holiday. And it doesn't take me long before I start to talk differently. About a week and all of a sudden I've defaulted back to all the old ways. I'm no longer saying, yeah, like an Aussie. I'm saying, yeah. Uh, you know, and I'm talking about time just now. We'll go to the shops just now. And, uh, and then every now and then I speak, oh, shame, man, shame. 
Right? Just a week, a week hanging around my cousins, my family, and all of a sudden my accents flipped and I'm talking like them, I'm sounding like them, and I'm hamming up all of this inner South African that's embedded under this bogan Aussie that's been living in Australia for the last 30-something years. We imitate the people that we're around. To be a disciple of Jesus means to look like him, to walk like him. Our gait is shaped and looks like Jesus. That's who we are. So how do we do that? Well, Paul is going to give us four ways that we can do that, four ways that we can think about our walk here in Ephesians chapter 5. He's going to say we need to walk in love, not lust. We need to walk in the light, not in darkness. We need to walk in wisdom and not folly. And finally, we need to walk in step with the Spirit and not in drunkenness. We're to walk in love, light, wisdom, and in step with the Spirit. So we're going to walk, walk across those four uh, realms as we dive through Ephesians chapter 5. So we're going to start by uh, our first one, walk in love. Let's have a look at chapter 5, verse 2. So what he says, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. Let there be no foolishness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you can be sure of this, that anyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetousness, that is an idolater, a greedy, has no inheritance in the kingdom of God, of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. You know, sex and greed, money and power, they are the unholy trinity of probably every single culture in every single era of time. Now, this is not unique to our moment in history, and it was certainly not unique to the Ephesians moment in history. Ephesus was a city that was a sexually progressive city, much like ours. At the center of Ephesian worship was the, uh, the temple, Diana of Artemis. And associated with the temple worship there were sexual orgies, temple prostitutes. This is a very common part of Ephesian culture. In, uh, in Ephesus, uh, those who were enlightened and free were free to do whatever they wanted with their bodies. But those who were conservative were in the dark and restricted and couldn't do, as what, couldn't do what they wanted with their bodies. Not all that different from our culture. In fact, it was said that um, at least from the, the male perspective, very lopsided view of sexuality in, in Ephesus, that uh, men had mistresses for pleasure, concubines to meet their daily needs, and wives to bear them legitimate children. It was very much uh, said that um, women were ought to be faithful to one spouse. That was valued. Whether or not it was true is another matter. Sexual expression and progressiveness was very much a part of the Ephesian way of life. And it's into that context, a context that's very similar to ours, that Paul will speak of this vastly countercultural ethic, a vastly different alternative vision for human sexuality. He says there that sex and impurity should not even be named among you. What does he mean when he says that? It's not... 
um, like Voldemort in Harry Potter, you know, he who shall not be named. We, we will speak of this in coded languages. He's not saying you can't talk about this, right? Because he's talking about it. Now, what he's saying is that this shouldn't be the fascination of God's people, the, the conversation part of our culture. You know, like, you, does anyone remember the Dolly magazine back in the day? It's not like we talk about all of the stuff that's on the front of Dolly magazine cover, all right? He's saying this is not what we talk about. It's not our fascination. It's not our daydream. We're different. Why? Well, as James Dawson reminded us last week, our behavior follows our identity. He'll say that there in verse 3. He'll say, he'll say that this is proper among the saints. There is, a, there is a way of living for the saints. That is for God's holy, set-apart people. We are distinctly different in our sexual ethic. It should be no surprise to us or to, or to this world that Christians believe different things about sexuality. That's who we are. Tim Keller will um, say this about the striking difference between uh, the first century pagan culture and Christian culture. He says this, The early church was strikingly different from the culture around it in this way. The pagan society was stingy with its money and promiscuous with its body. A pagan gave nobody their money and practically gave everybody their body. And the Christians came along and gave practically nobody their body and gave practically everybody their money. We walk in a different way. We walk in love. And you think about um, sexuality and greed are often taking, receiving things, wanting more and more and more and more. And the Christian flips that and says those are things that we give as acts of service, both sexuality and both our finances. We walk in love, not lust. We walk in purity. We walk in holiness because it's who we are. Now, Paul says that the antidote to this is thankfulness. Now, at first reading, you think, what does thankfulness have to do with sex ethic and money and generosity? Actually, a lot. You see, whether we desire sex or money or material possessions or experiences, whatever it is, those desires for those things or over-desires for those things, the idolatrous desire for those things, they are often birthed from a place of entitlement from a position of false belief that God has blessed us, or a skewed perspective that we're actually living in a, in a period of lack and not a period of abundance. And thankfulness is the antidote to the things like that that drive our greed and insatiable hunger for more. Thankfulness and gratitude. It's very dif difficult to be entitled and thankful at the same time. Very difficult. When you are thankful for the things that you have been given, entitlement is de destroyed and demolished. Thankfulness speaks truth about God's blessing in our lives. It helps us change and shift our perspective to see that God, in fact, has been abundantly generous to us. The antidote is thankfulness. We are a people who are characterized by generosity and sexual purity. Or to put it another way, as uh, John Tyson says, we are financially promiscuous and extramaritally stingy. That's who we are as God's people. We walk in a different way.
we walk in the way of Jesus. We walk in love. Secondly, we walk in light and not in the darkness. Have a look at verse 8. Verse 8. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of the other, sorry, that's verse 6. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For everything that becomes visible is light. Walk in the light. Now, light and dark are metaphors for good and evil. That's very common. That's still true of us in our culture today. And Paul is saying, you were once in darkness. You were once darkness. But now you have been transferred into the realm, the sphere of light. And that has happened. That is an identity change that has occurred as Jesus, the true light, came into the world and dragged you out of the realm of death and darkness into the realm of light and life. And as light, we have a a, a response, a posture towards that which is darkness. And Paul will talk about this happening in two ways. Firstly, in a negative sense, he will say, do not partner with them. Do not partake. Now, that doesn't mean that we um, completely remove ourselves from culture. It's not disassociation. It's non-participation. We are part of the culture of this world. But we don't participate in the deeds of darkness. And then positively, he will say, rather, expose it. Now, I think when we think about exposing the darkness, most of us you know, might bring to mind protests or um, you know, letter writing to politicians or some form of activism. And perhaps there's something connected with this about what it means to actively expose the darkness in this world by, by the light. But I think probably pr- predominantly what Paul has in mind here is a passive exposing. That just by the quality and nature of the lives that we live, we live distinctly different lives in the world and we will stand out. We will look different. People will notice that. I still remember a story uh, a number of years ago that um, was told often at at our church. One of our youth group kids, his name was Ethan, um, and he went to a sleepover at a friend's house. Uh, I think he was like year five or year six, went to a birthday sleepover uh, the parents weren't in the room, and one of the kids, the kids who, whose house they were at, said, let's watch this movie, and it was M15 plus movie. And all the kids were like, yeah, 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 let's watch the movie. And Ethan said to them, you know what, guys, my parents don't let me watch M15 plus movies, so you guys go ahead, you watch it, I'm just going to go into the room next door and play by myself. And you know what happened in that moment? They all decided not to watch the M15 plus movie, and they went into the next room and played with Ethan. Now, it's a, it's a cute story because it's a youth group kid, right? And there are thousands of other ways that we can do that in our lives. But that's not an, that's not an active, like, you know, pushing back. He, he didn't turn up with a, a placard and protest against the M15 movies. He, he, just, he just lived his distinct way. He walked in a distinctly different way that exposed something and then drew people to the light. We are to walk in the light. Thirdly, we're to walk in wisdom and not folly. Have a look at verse 15. 
Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. We walk in wisdom. He says there, look carefully. That word is to look accurately. You, you picture what is happening here. He's saying, have a look where you're putting your foot down. Walk carefully and accurately. Place your foot in a specific important position. And the image that comes to mind for me is when we take our kids to Sydney Park and go for a walk through Sydney Park there. There are two um, stepping stone tracks that cross the little creek that runs through the river there. And when we walk down the path, the kids are running. But as soon as they get to the creek, the way that they walk instantly changes. They walk with care and precision. They watch where their feet go because if they don't, they will slip off the rock and into the water. And that's what Paul is saying here. He says, look carefully. Look carefully where you put your feet. Walk in wisdom. And to walk in wisdom is to try and discern what pleases the Lord. To know his will, to know his purposes, to know his ways, and to live by them. You see, wisdom has nothing to do with your intellect, with your ATAR, or with how many initials you have in brackets at the end of your name. Wisdom has everything to do with understanding the world as shaped by God and living in that reality. That's what it means to be wise. To walk in wisdom is to understand that the history of the world is God's story. And that we participate in that story and are shaped by that story. You know, it's, um, it's said that the difference between wisdom and intellect is, is this. Intellect is knowing that a tomato is a fruit. It has seeds. It grows above the ground. It's a fruit. Wisdom is knowing that tomato, despite the fact that it's a fruit, should never be put in a fruit salad. It just doesn't belong there. That's the difference between intellect, IQ, and wisdom. Paul is saying we walk in a different way. We walk not by conventional wisdom of this world, not by the wisdom that we glean and garner from this world. And that's not to say that the wisdom of this world is always false and inaccurate. Sometimes it's just not the full story. But we walk by the wisdom that God gives us. We walk in wisdom. Finally, we walk in the spirit and not in drunkenness. Have a look at what it says there in verse 18. And do not get drunk on wine or with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks Always and for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a contrast here between being filled with wine or whatever spirit of choice you have and being filled with the Spirit of God. And it, it's an, an obvious contrast at one level, right? Because we know what happens when you fill yourself, and to be filled there means to be filled to overflowing. When you fill yourself or get drunk on wine, the alcohol controls your behavior, it animates your words, it changes your actions and the way you think, it, it makes you walk a bit funny. And a life that is filled with the Spirit does all of the same things. It changes the way we speak, it animates our behaviors, it changes the way that we walk. 
And Paul says that we ought to be people who are directed by, animated by the Holy Spirit. Now, let me just get a bit nerdy with you for a second. That, that word there, to be filled, in the original language is what they call a present active continuous. Present active continuous. And that means that what Paul is saying here is that we are to continue to go on being filled. That's what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, is to be continually filled with the Spirit. Now, for some of you, you grew up hearing the half-truth that once you've received the Spirit, He's filled you up. How can He fill you up anymore? You've received the Spirit. You, you can't get any more of being filled with the Spirit. The problem with that is, Paul says we are to continually be filled with the Spirit. This is a life of continual dependence a life that is animated by the Spirit, not leaning on the flesh, not leaning on our own wisdom, but leaning on the power of the Spirit for guidance, for direction, for the tone of our lives, for what it looks like to live in a completely countercultural way. When everyone else around us says, walk this way, the Spirit of God helps us to walk that way. That's what it means to be a disciple, a follower of Jesus. We had to be continually Filled with the Spirit to live a radically different life. So how do we walk? We walk in love, not in lust, not in greed. We walk in the light, not in darkness. We walk in wisdom and not in folly. We walk in step with the Spirit and not in drunkenness. That's how we walk. So let me ask you this morning, how's your walk? Are you walking in the way of Jesus? Or are you limping along in porn addiction? Are you walking in the way of Jesus? Or are you hobbling in poor choices? Are you walking in the way of Jesus? Or are you tripping over in the darkness? How's your walk? Are you walking in the way of Jesus? Or are you staggering around in a haze of drunkenness? Are you disabled because of adultery in your life? Are you tiptoeing out of fear? How's your walk? Are you walking in the way of Jesus? You know, we all struggle in different ways. Every single one. We have our own unique, specific struggles to our own lives. And Paul is calling this community and us by the Spirit to turn from walking one way and to walk another way, to walk in the way of Jesus, to have our gait shaped by the life and character of Jesus himself. But what's very important here is that we get the order correct because we can get lost between all of these ethical imperatives that Paul gives us here in chapter 4 and 5 and forget what he has said in chapter 1, 2, and 3. We need to make sure that we hitch the trailer of ethics to the tow bar of the gospel. Ensure that it is the gospel that is pulling and shaping and animating our behavior like James reminded us of last week. And I want to take you back to the very start there, to chapter 5, verse 1, where he says, Therefore be imitators of God as dearly beloved children. See, this is not a spirit of earning that we do this. We don't seek to earn the Father's approval by living in a certain way. That's called religion. This is about relationship. This is about our adoption. This is about what it means to be called 
children of God, to be adopted into his family, and to be able to say to the, the, the God of the universe, Dad. And we live out of that. It's out of our belovedness, our adoption, that we walk in a completely different way. So we need to ensure that we hitch the trailer of these ethics here in chapter 5 to the truck of the gospel. And when we do this, we will be a radically different, countercultural, alternative society in the world. The, um, the great returned missionary Leslie Newbigin, he, he calls the church the hermeneutic of the gospel. And what he means by that is he says that when the world watches us, the way that we live, the choices that we make, the way that we spend our money, the way that we parent our children, the way that we respond to suffering, the way that we deal with conflict. He says, when, when we live our lives, that is an interpretation of the message of the good news. Right? Paul will say in Titus chapter 2 that to, to slaves that the way that you live your life is the of the gospel. Right? It's the adornment, it's the covering, it's the thing that makes it look beautiful. And what our world is screaming and asking us is not so much, is this true? And we've got a good answers why we believe it's true. They're saying, does this work? Is this a good vision for humanity? And we want to say, absolutely. Come and look at the tone of our lives. Watch the way that we walk and you will see. That we worship a God who has got our best at his heart and has a vision for humanity that is beautiful and good and right and holy and perfect and compelling and consistent. And we're invited into that. As a church, I want to call those of you who follow Jesus this morning to walk like Jesus. Let your life be shaped by him, animated by him. If you're not a Christian here this morning, then we want to say to you, watch us. Watch the way we live. We're not claiming to be perfect by any stretch of the measure. What we hope you see is when people who make mistakes, we're quick to own those mistakes. And we believe in a message of forgiveness and grace and fresh starts. But we want to invite you into our community to see what it looks like to be God's people. A countercultural contrast community. Well, as I invite the band out, now we're going to respond in worship to this good God who calls us into this compelling vision of life, and we're going to respond by worshiping him. So I'm going to pray, if you would like to join me as we pray together. Father God, we thank you. We thank you that you're good. We thank you that your way is the best way. God, we pray that you'd help us to be a people who would be distinct and different and holy. Help us to be a people who would choose to align with your ways over the ways of this world. A people who would walk in love, people who would walk in light, people who would walk in truth and wisdom, walk in the power of the Spirit. We pray that you would change us and shape us. Help us to be the people who would... As we walk out into the world, the nations would be drawn to Zion with praising that we would declare the marvelous deed of God who has called us out of darkness and into your light. God, we pray that you'd help us to walk 
as Jesus walked. And we pray this in his strong name. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen.